3: Ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Woke Bros. I'm Big Wise with my girlfriend Tamar, eating chicken in camera view. <laughs> Joined as always are my brothers and com- the f- the future is female. Terrible shirt. Um, (laughs) That better
0: not be
2: in the frame. No girls allowed on the Woke Bros. No
3: girls allowed on the Woke Bros. For a reason. (laughs) Um, Join us always, my brothers, my comrades, Nando Vila out in Santa Monica and Michael Jamal Brooks on the planet of Brooklyn. Rob Lopez on the ones and threes, keeping us on track as always. On today's show, Nick Cannon. Hotep five percenter hero. He's, he got himself into some hot hot water. Oh, but he's there for him. <laughs> he said the thing. He said the thing that nobody wants to hear.
2: <laughs> That's the best. Game. Dan Levitard thing He's like we're all just waiting for someone to say the thing, and Nick Cannon is the one who said the thing. The thing this week, you know, we just get it's like a an ongoing reality show. Who said the thing Can this I week? Say real quick. Yes. What I lo- One of the funniest things that has occurred like
0: especially because like social media just should be abolished and it's disgusting but the the one thing that i've really enjoyed in the last couple of months has been like the discovery particularly of like a certain type of like bougie white woman who probably just think that like oh Louis farrakhan he was probably like a leader in the 80s <laughs> <championed> clips of <laughs> like yeah. They, they, and like, just like, and because Farrakhan's a great speaker. So they oh have like this one minute clip order. of like, like the nature of this country. Really, <laughs> do you, do brilliant. you even, like, I don't care because I don't care. Right. Like, but, <laughs> but, no, do you, but do you understand? What? Hilarious. Like, yeah. even, even given all of the like, well, you can't, you know, like all of the like identity shit that these people are like constantly filtering. Like Farrakhan has definitely said some shit that they would find, uh, you know, in that that word that I will cancel problematic. But it's just great. Like they just have no, they could, Everybody doesn't know shit. And right. so you just have like the, – the, they're just like, oh, this, this is a great description of our white privilege by this this gentleman, Louis Farrakhan, <laughs> <laughs> deporting a flight to Libya where he talks about the Zion Jew government with Khatai. <laughs> Explain uh, to Bill uh, Donahue that – Yaka made us have white fragility. <laughs> <laughs> if you go in that direction, it would be a lot more interesting. Of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> and
3: we're going to get into the Dems co authored a bipartisan bill to disallow the President of the United States. From withdrawn troops from Afghanistan We're going to get into the hypocrisy And really, it's not really hypocrisy It's basically what the party stands for If you understand what the party actually is Of that But first, Joe Biden has Well, rumors of Joe Biden assembling his potential foreign policy team Has leaked Uh as listeners of this show might come to expect we don't think it's a good team <laughs> this ain't exactly the 1996 bulls here um nando man break it down for the people the 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 basically it's man it's it's, it's, it's If you know anything about Joe Biden, the Clintons, the kinds of Democrats that they are, they are always going to default to whatever the freaking status quo of D.C. is Mm. like
1: in
0: every
3: like at every single turn. It like foreign policy is not going to be any different. Like when he assembles, you know, the commerce team it's going to be the whatever the status quo of D.C. is. That's what they're going to go for. And. Obviously, because it's Joe Biden, more of the same here for foreign policy.
2: Yeah. And I think it's important to understand two things about foreign policy. One, it's the realm in which the president has the most leeway to (laughs) act. You know, they can basically act unilaterally. They don't need Congress to agree with them on anything regarding foreign policy.
3: That wasn't always the case when the founders who basically invented planet Earth, according to the people in this country, when they made the Constitution, it was the the point of Congress was like, bro, you can't just let this dude start wars whenever he wants to. You can't just let this guy unilaterally make decisions overseas whenever he wants to. Like this is it's like one of the founding principles of the quote unquote three branches. It's like you do not let the president do whatever he wants to do. Overseas like we've seen firsthand in England how that shit could Just go terribly bad for Us yeah. but in the modern Times there is no check On how a president Operates overseas but go on Nando
2: Yeah and, and it wasn't that long like what you Say it wasn't that long ago that like Senate Democrats Were intervening to stop the Reagan Administration from funding death squads in, in Nicaragua and stuff like that like it's unimaginable so they had Today to sell coke instead and yeah. Exactly and give it to the you know Bring crack into the ghettos it's 100%
0: true oh, um, oh, um but, uh, democrats don't want to fund death squads yes yeah. there's a man named blandone <laughs> <who has> the- <laughs> yeah
2: so, so yeah so these days the president can do whatever he wants Kill on gary. foreign policy <laughs> and but Ronald Reagan's senile but he still orders the hit on gary well Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Look up, watch that movie, Kill the Messenger. Uh, Get get educated. But um, uh, the so yeah, so the president can do whatever he wants on foreign policy, which is why it's interesting to look at what they plan on doing on foreign policy. And it's one and the other thing that's important to understand about foreign policy is that it is it is the realm in which the two parties agree on the most, most, right? They most mostly agree in the broad contours of what to do when it comes to war and peace, mm-hmm. you know, issues of war and peace, right? Um, we've seen Democratic administrations start wars. We've seen Republican administrations start wars. They more or less agree, and that's why they've, they've called, people have called sort of the national security apparatus or the foreign policy establishment or whatever you want it, the blob, because it's this unchanging thing that is very difficult to move on any particular issue no matter how well-intentioned someone may be or not be. So... um When There was a tweet that came out this week in which uh, an Axios reporter had done some reporting on who Biden was thinking about putting on his foreign policy team and, like, tweeted out the list of people, and lo and behold, they are all people who are deeply embedded in the blob. And it's important to understand who they are and what their role is within the blob, because there is kind of two teams within this big blob. One is kind of like the fire-breathing, neocon, frothing-at-the-mouth reactionary hypernationalist kill everything let's start a war with
3: iran tomorrow yeah, like we should have did this
2: 20 years ago those people yes. and 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 it's like and 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 for reasons of like and they almost have like a quasi religious um yep. uh impetus to do it, right? Like this is a war of civilizations that yep. we need to win and that we're under assault yep. and all that stuff. And then there's the sort of liberal half of the blob, which what they do is kind of, uh, they they add a humanitarian sheen <laughs> to the things we're going to do anyway, right? So what, what, what they're called is like liberal interventionists or you know, humanitarian interventionists. And the, the key person who most likely would be a Secretary of State under a Biden administration is a woman named Samantha Power. And Samantha Power became famous for writing a book called The Problem from Hell, which was about the United States' inaction in the genocide in Rwanda. And she uses that episode of foreign policy to then justify interventions abroad, military interventions abroad, in the name of humanitarianism, of sort of liberal do-goodiness, right? Look at these people. They're all going to die. We need to come in militarily and save them. This was the impetus behind the Obama administration's intervention in Libya, right? It was sold to us at the time as a oncoming genocide, that Gaddafi was going to genocide the people of Benghazi. We needed to intervene now, or there would be an absolute genocide of all the people who lived in Benghazi. Um, so we went into Libya, bombed them. Gaddafi was killed, uh, deposed him. Um, and then, lo and behold, Libya fell into a state of absolute chaos, slave trade, you know, tribal warfare and uh, sectarian warfare that is way more horrible than anyone could have ever imagined. So it's just kind of, it's indicative of what, of what's coming, of what's, of what's so deeply embedded within the Democratic Party administration, uh, establishment, which is liberal interventionism for one
3: second, because I, I hate to be the resident Barry apologist on this podcast, but the, the only thing to my mind that Barry's, The best thing that he's ever done, foreign policy-wise, whatever. I love the Iran deal. I loved um, some of the other stuff. But publicly, he was like, look, the freaking Israel lobby is intractable in Washington. The Saudi lobby is intractable in Washington. And these dudes influence so much... They, they, they color the hue of so much of our foreign policy as far as what we deem to be important, who we deem to be the enemies, who, like— They basically dictate what we're doing over there. They're they're essentially the only reason that we're over there. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And he was like, yo, man, realistically, there's money to be had in Southeast Asia. We need to get out the Middle East and do that instead. Not to say that it was some, you know, humanitarian or like pie in the sky shit. He's just like, we wasting our time over there. Those homies have money invested in making sure that we continue to waste our time over there. Um, people think that it's in our national national interest to have influence over there. We need to try to influence, wield influence in Southeast Asia. It'd be
2: more profitable. Well, it's 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 good to bring up Obama because That's Obama bloody. had had a very light criticism of Bob. Right. Like <laughs> he, he sort of very lightly kind of opposed certain small, like certain discrete issues that the blob kind of really believes in. And the reaction to it was was absolutely insane. Right. It was like, you know, and it really wasn't like, so, I mean, it wasn't like any remotely close to like what a Bernie administration would be like, right. In which they would be like a direct challenge to the blob and like what that would look like is actually one of those fascinating counterfactuals of like, what would have happened? Like what would have happened had Bernie, uh, put in some people who were genuine critics of American Empire and 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 actually came a uh, uh, you know came and, and confronted the blob in that sense. Like what would have happened is an interesting question to think about. But Obama's very light criticism and 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 very light attempts to sort of deviate a few degrees away from the blobs um, sort of hegemony was you know fought tooth and nail so yeah
0: yeah i mean i just i think though i mean the only thing that i would say is that everything that's been said i agree with i think it the the one like tangible difference actually really is the iran deal um yeah and potentially opening up I mean, I don't know what Biden—Biden has not said much on it, but also Obama did normalize relations with Cuba, and those are two huge reversals by Trump, and particularly the Iran deal is one of the most damaging things. So those—like, the fact that Biden says we go back into the Iran deal, that is a—like, re- I don't even know if that's possible. That U.S. has no credibility, but that's real, and that needs to be acknowledged. But beyond that, I mean— One, even like it's interesting you mentioned the pivot to to Asia-wise because that's even another area where, of course, Trump is going to be the, you know, stupid and belligerent and all the rest. But that was already a sign that the United States was being basically like, wait a second. This whole arrogant model—and I have plenty of criticisms of China. I'm not—you know, there's nuance to all these conversations. But there was this huge arrogance amongst the blob that we're going to have trade with China, we'll use them as a giant sweatshop, they'll import sh- shit back to us, and they will become a capitalist country with all of the problems that that entails, like we don't care about labor or human rights or anything like that, obviously. But somehow, it will also become just brand-wise, it will become more and more like a corporate quote-unquote, liberal democracy. That was the assumption, particularly in the 1990s, when we're riding this wave of U.S. hegemony. And that's even when people like Samantha Power are writing these books, which superficially are like, oh, this is a real critique of U.S. foreign policy, but really what it is is like, no, we should be the armed wing of Amnesty International, which, you know, just like totally insane (laughs) weaponization of human rights discourse for empire. Um, And, you know, China— it, by 2013, 14 even, it's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're rising, and we have our own model, and maybe we want to start competing in technology. Maybe we don't want to just be you know, a sweatshop. Maybe we want to build our own domestic capacity. Yep. And in the, incidentally, yep. we have our own model for how to do it. And so, and so you know, even Obama is already—like, that's really all TPP is. It is, a, it is a corporate written trade agreement that has all of the problems and favors corporations in all of the damaging ways, just like NAFTA did uh, and others. But it's mainly a strategic counterweight to China. So, I mean, all this is to say—and the last thing, real quick, on Israel, it, yes, like, Obama in the real world, like— was a massive friend of Israel, and even Ehud Barak was like, no one's done more on intelligence cooperation than Obama with us. And he supported, like, you know, and so by the very end of the administration, they literally were saying, like, okay, this occupation, we're not even talking about the crimes in Gaza, but the occupation of the West (laughs) Bank, which, like, you know, outside of the United States, you'll have, like, a conservative prime minister of uh, Great Britain call Gaza an open-air prison. Like, this stuff is not— even a question outside of the United States. So by the end of the Obama administration, you know, John Kerry gave a few speeches being like, Hey, it's looking pretty bad guys, which was like behind what Israeli politicians had said, like <laughs> Ehud Olmert was saying in 2003 to <laughs> become an apartheid state. Yeah. And I'm not even saying – like, he wasn't even saying that morally. He was just saying, like, this just isn't going to work. And so Obama at the end was like, all right, you know what? If there's a U.N. resolution against the occupation, which is incidentally official U.S. foreign policy too, we don't accept settlement expansion in the West Bank and the occupied territories, we won't veto it. It's not even that we'll vote for it and support <laughs> it. We'll And that was too much, right? And so Biden – is definitely to the right of Obama on Israel. Yeah. Biden is a classic, old school Israel, anywhere, anytime, place. And I watched a clip of Mark Melman, who's a Democratic pollster, who's like the chief advisor for something called Democrats for Israel, I think, which was they were running those anti-Jamal Bowman ads on behalf of Elliott Engel. And it was yes. really interesting. He actually was saying, he's like, look, on domestic policy, and I think there's some small truth to this, he's like, it was good, like, we can share and we're willing to, you know, like, we're willing, I think there's some progressive stuff that even someone like me supports, but he goes, you notice the foreign policy task force was not Bernie, like, basically that's what he said to paraphrase him, and he's like, and, you know, Israel is not in play, like. Is what it is,
3: (laughs) and and you know, again, I just think it's important for our listeners to understand how and why things happen. Um, The don't think for a second that the defense contract industry is not in bed with the Saudi lobby not in bed with the israeli lobby um this isn't this isn't like a conspiracy or it's literally one hand washes the other <laughs> you guys you guys go out there go out to the middle east and do our bidding and we get the american taxpayer to pay for it it's perfect it's a yeah.
2: perfect marriage well, I think that it's important to understand that it's a marriage. I mean, sometimes there's like a, an impetus on the um, like the progressive side of things to say like we do these things because of them. And it's like, that's like a tail wagging the dog type of thing. Yeah. It's not, it's it's not true. It's like, they're both kind of mutually reinforcing mechanisms that, that are, that are strengthening each other. It's not like, Oh, we would change if it weren't for them. No, they don't want to change, but that's just another way of reinforcing the power. Right. It's, it's not that it's not like there's like a president who's like, you know, I really wish, you know, I would, I would, you know, I I would give a Palestinian state right now, you know, but I can't because of the thing. No, no, it's not really that. It's more like these are two mutually reinforcing power structures that are, that are, that are very much in place. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very difficult problem. (laughs) It's a very difficult thing to break.
3: And you know why it's difficult too, that I think people need to understand. It's like, well, why can't somebody just wake up one day and say, fuck these guys? It's because when you get into that job And people explain to you, well, basically they scare the shit out of you and they're like, listen, there's like any number of possible catastrophes that could happen all around the world and these guys can make it so that it looks like it's completely your fault. And that's it. It's like they're holding they're literally holding a gun to these cats' heads. Like if something awful happens in America, whether it's your fault or not, whether it's incompetence, whether it's whatever, the 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 military state can make it so that it seems like our president didn't keep us safe. And nobody's scared of fucking wussy than Americans, man. Like straight up and down. I mean, like 9-11 kind of, you know, kind of woke me up to that point. And and and, and I'll tell them my own story about myself um, and we can go on to to the Democratic Congress, which is inexcusable um, still, but um, I remember 9-11 happening. I remember, you know, living and growing up in New York City and being steeped in the flag waving and the, holy shit, like they attacked us in f- Manhattan. Like what the hell is going on? You know, the fear, the paranoia, and, you know, the rhetoric that came out of it. About brown people, Muslim people, and you know, again, you grow up in these flat, but you don't know no fucking Muslim people. You don't know any Iranians or you, you know, Yemeni people or anybody from Lebanon. You don't know any of these people, and so you you absorb that rhetoric mm. about Muslim people, right? And I remember talking to an older homie of mine, Nigerian cat. His name is Kareem, and I was like. And I don't know how the subject came up But he was like um, I I was like uh, Kareem you You not scared of Muslim people And Kareem said my nigga I'm Muslim (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and it just it, it clarified and crystallized in like it, the point was it like it, it made it the point for me so clear right there where it's just like he's like bro like I, that's my faith bro those are my people like I'm somebody who you love and 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 you know have grown up with essentially um but I say all of that to say like that attitude that I might have had being a 14 year old in New York during the 9-11 permeates the entire country. And so it's very easy to scare people into thinking these foreigners are what's keeping you from your hamburgers. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's why this shit is able to persist. Uh, yeah. I will um, move on to again, and and I kept teasing, and it's connected to the Biden foreign policy stuff, because like I mentioned at the top of the show, the Democratic Party leadership and apparatus These motherfuckers are so hawkish. Um, We claim to be the party of liberalism, of humanism, of human rights and civil rights and all of this stuff. But these people just, when it comes to war overseas, they're as nasty and hawkish as anybody. And then, you know, we don't talk about it a lot on this show, but there is this sort of Trump brain within liberal circles where it's like... Literally, if Donald Trump handed a kid a candy bar, a Snickers, it would be seen as the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world. Just because just because Trump did it. And like yeah. literally these guys put in a measure. They, they passed the bill bipartisan in the House. That would limit Trump's ability to withdraw troops from Afghanistan. (laughs) 20 years of war. Yeah. They passed a bill stating they basically restricts this guy's ability to get not even like a full withdrawal. Like, no, you can't take anybody out of there.
2: Yeah.
3: And, you know, the House Democrat. uh, What's his name? Moulton.
2: Seth Moulton. Seth
3: Moulton. Ran for president. Ran for... (laughs) In in our liberal party. Um, He basically, essentially, he said, why the hell would we get out of Afghanistan while there's bounties being put on our soldiers' head? And it's just like, Seth, it's a... That's a ridiculous story and um, sort of talking point. And two, even if that were the case, as Michael brought up in the pre-show, wouldn't that be an impetus to get our guys out of harm's way,
2: way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's okay. It's like you, you talked about the, the the liberal kind of um, impulse to just whatever Trump do. Trump, it's bad, you know, and and it manifests itself in foreign policy in all kinds of weird ways. Um, you know, this this issue in Afghanistan is like a case in point is like, you know, Trump pulling out the troops out of Afghanistan, even if it's for the wrong reasons or whatever, or like he's going to do it in a ham fisted way. At the end of the day, like we've been there for fucking 20 years. Get the fuck out of there. Like, what are we doing? It's ridiculous. Like, don't don't do anything to like step in the way. And but and the other one that was just very to me at the time when it was happening was like just absolutely maddening was when Trump was talking to Kim Jong-un about potentially doing a peace deal in on the Korean Peninsula. And this is something that the left Wing or, or leftish president of South Korea was like actively begging him to do, you know, and was, and he was a popular elected leader. And the, and the opinion polls in South Korea showed <laughs> that this was a popular move and that they wanted to do this. And, you know, liberals here in this country are be like, oh my God, Trump is talking to Kim Jong un? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> he should, he absolutely oh should donate.
0: Vladimir Putin. I can't actually. I shouldn't do a Rachel Maddow impression unless I have. He's talking to Kim Jong Un. No like preconditions. John went to the bathroom, and yeah. Donald Trump called Kim Jong Un. Imagine you're John Bolton. Uh, I think that. Yeah, I mean, it's doubly frustrating to me actually because if you look at the overall contours of Trump's foreign policy, in spite of the fact that he says the right thing sometimes or will try to, like, get out of Afghanistan, is disgusting. Like, he has a hyper-empire foreign policy. He's skyrocketing civilian casualties, drone strikes. Like, Donald Trump has a fucking grotesque foreign policy, which is mainly just neocon Republican foreign policy without the pretext but you know when it comes to these particular areas like a half-hearted effort to get out of Afghanistan or the North Korea thing i mean that was so that was so crazy because it was like no it like just the pretzels that people went into it's like yeah you know what This is a dangerous situation. You guys don't want to do what needs to be done to actually resolve it, which is ultimately recognize that, of course, North Korea is a fucked-up regime, and they've got legitimate security concerns. And so you're going to need to figure out a way of protecting South Korea, protecting Japan, but also— not basically completely circling a little state that you're still technically at war with. Like, there's complicated questions there, but all of the shit was just like, it's really dangerous. I remember that in the beginning of, of the last meltdown about North, about North Korea, they were like, oh, it's so dangerous because there isn't even clear lines of communication. And then it was like, okay, here's a clear line of communication. These two assholes want to talk. And then that's a problem? And exactly as Nando said, the person who's facilitating it is actually a very good president. <laughs> like, right. the only person with any credibility in the situation, the president of South Korea, and it was just filtered through that matrix. And then, you know, with Afghanistan, longer than World War II. We have been there. We've killed innumerable civilians. Our soldiers have died, have PTSD, have lost limbs, have everything. And basically, we're back, like— there's a small part of the country that's kind of controlled by, like, you know, a NATO backed administration that I'm, sh- you know, has done, I guess, some good things, has, you know, is completely compromised for logistical reasons. Like, you have to have alliances with warlords. You have to, like, we're complicit in poppy and heroin trafficking, of course. And then, you know, a lot of the rest of the country is run by, the Taliban, which at this point doesn't even mean anything in a, as a word, because a lot of that might just be people that would like occupying troops to get the fuck out of their country, which, as far as I'm concerned, I don't condone actions, obviously. But that's always just at base a legitimate perspective. You know, I I, foreign occupying troops to not be in my country. That's my family, do gun raids on us, bomb. There was even a plan for a while, which they scrapped. They were going to try to do Plan Colombia in Afghanistan, which basically that's just like nuking <laughs> the Colombian countryside. Like, oh, there's cocoa. Let's pollute the environment, put a bunch I'm of uh, farmers out of work. Cocaine trade's still going to for, for drugs that Americans love. I mean, drugs, come on. Like it's, it's, <laughs> and it's all self-looking ice cream cone. There's contracts. There's deals. There's ports. There's, I mean, you know, it's all money. Um. <laughs> And, you know, I think it's important that we
3: always at least try to communicate what the other side of this argument might be, even if we might not necessarily find it to be legitimate. Um, What you would hear is we can't leave the people that we made promises to over there high and dry. Essentially, we've we've made promises to people like, all right, I talked you into shooting at those folks. I got your back. We cannot leave those people high and dry. To which I'll say this: I gave you twenty years, man. You know, <laughs> it's like it's 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 almost like a parent and their kid is thirty-five and still doesn't have a job and doesn't want to get his own apartment and all of it. It's like, bro, I gave you twenty years. I gave you. I
0: gave it to you. I we gave it to you. Did you like? Even like car guy <laughs> at a certain point was begging, like, just don't – it's not
2: helping me how many civilians you're killing. It's, <laughs> like, it's, it's just – You know, I, I don't know. We're I, sending I, kids over there who were born after 9-11. It's crazy. Like, troops, crazy. American troops are showing up there who were born after 9-11. Well, you can be a grown adult born after 9-11 now. Yes, yeah, Billie Eilish was born after 9/11. not like, I mean, it's, Billie Eilish is like the biggest pop star in the world right now. She was born after 9/11. That's how long and, ago it was.
3: And and it, it, and that's the that's another thing too is that, um, the current dialogue and discourse is disconnected from that. Yeah. Like we went there for <laughs> nine no, it's like, eleven.
2: It's one of those things where it's like they don't even remember why we're fighting anymore. What? You know, like it's like it's like you know, like two brothers who got in a fight. You know, right. like in nineteen sixty four and have been spoken since, and they don't even remember what their what fight, the fight, was, fight was, about. was about. Right? Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I just thought it was important that we brought that up because you know, and that's something that I want Trump brain liberals to understand, and it's a really simple notion. When it, as it pertains to the president and it's that, um, even the sun shines on a dog's ass. So, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, let well enough be man, like whatever. Um, and now we get to my favorite part of the show. Nick Cannon went on his podcast or radio show or YouTube show or whatever it is. And I'm not even sure who he was talking about, and I'm not sure that it actually matters. Who he was talking to, excuse me. He was talking to some brother. I don't think we um, you know who he was talking about. Right, 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 right. <laughs> 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 and Rob is gonna play the clip for you guys, but and you can play it right now, Rob. Then let's go, let's,
1: let's go to what it really is. Then when we talk about the power of melanated people, when we talk mm-hmm. about who we really are as guys and, and understanding right. that our melanin is so power and it connects us in a way that the reason why they fear black, the reason why they fear is because they, the lack that they have of it. So then when you see what you know, Dr. Uh, Francis C. Wellesley talked about is that fear in that 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 Just uh, genetic that, annihilation efficiency mm-hmm. of when you have a person that has has the lack of pigment the right. lack of melanin right. that they know that they will be annihilated so therefore however they got the power they 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 have the lack of compassion mm-hmm. that melanin comes with compassion melanin comes with soul that mm-hmm. we call it we call it soul we soul brothers and sisters that's the melanin that connects us. Right. so the people that don't have it have are are a little and i'm I'm gonna say this carefully (laughs) are a little less and 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 where the term actually comes from because i'm bringing it all the way back around to to minister farrakhan to where they may not have the compassion or the the when they were sent to the mountains of caucasus when they when they didn't have the power of the sun that was that the sun then started to deteriorate Mm -hmm. them so then they're acting out of fear. They're acting out of low self esteem. They're acting out of a a deficiency. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the only way that they can act is evil. The only way they can they they have to rob steal rape, kill and fight or flight in in order to survive. Exactly. So then these people who didn't have what we had, and when I say we I speak of the Mm -hmm. melanated people, right? They had to be savages they had to be barbaric they had because they're in these nordic mountains they're in these rough uh torrential environments mm. so they they're acting as animals right so they're the ones that are actually closer to animals they're the ones that are actually the true savages and then they built up such this this i don't want to say warrior but they built up such this this
3: this conquering mm-hmm. uh, barbaric mentality. And essentially what Nick Cannon is trying to explain to you guys truth is that <laughs> Mike, not yet, not yet, Mike, not yet <laughs> <laughs> is that white people because they didn't grow up in Africa in the sun with plenty of food and just life and just paradise, essentially. My um, fault,
0: I, oh, I wasn't born in Zamunda.
3: Exactly. We're born in these cold ass caves, uh. which evolutionarily evolved them to be these barbaric animal like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> So good. <laughs>
3: the pseudoscience of it is so, it's so incredible. It's the type of thing that I love. That I just have to
0: say, like Nick Cannon was not who I expected. You didn't,
2: you didn't think Nick Cannon was <laughs> gonna <Nah. radicalize laughs> Cannon, and, I thought Nick Cannon was like polished, I and mean, he's been. He's I thought been, Nick yeah, Cannon
0: was like, and now we've got another great performer. Yeah, I thought he
2: was like the Black Ryan Seacrest or something. You know, like I know. <laughs> Nick Cannon
3: contains (laughs) multitudes, people. (laughs) But like, I hear this shit, y'all. And I'm just like, and I tweeted this earlier. I was like, I would pay money to watch Congressman Steve King watch that clip for the first time.
2: Yeah, like yeah. to
3: just watch him absorb that. Oh. Like uh, these like pseudoscience um eugenesis type of cats like Andrew Sullivan, I would love to watch or I would love to watch them have a conversation with Nick Cannon about it. it's like, yeah, y'all savages. Y'all, you guys are were grafted from pigs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, can't, I can't. It's just, and, 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 and we say this all the time, Mike. But um the reason, another reason why I think this is funny is because Derek Chauvin. Biggest Derek Chauvin. This rhetoric literally is what connected Michael Brooks and I initially. He made a joke about. <laughs> five percenter nation of Islam Rhetoric and he framed it In an Obama he made an It was like if Obama was a five percenter And <clears throat> I just thought it was so funny Because so many people don't know about This shit they don't know about this strain Of belief Amongst black Americans like this I didn't like no not like black people Aren't like the 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 um You know the sort of uh, backwards, uh, you know, apish people. No, in fact, it's the opposite. Black people are full of love, understanding, spirituality, humanity. White the people black. are actually savages. And if we're being real, if you're a black American and you just do the historical history, you got receipts. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm not saying I agree with Nick Cannon. I'm just saying, like, if we really want to play that game, um, shit, man,
0: it's a compelling one to play. Man, Mike. The, you know what my thing is, though, now is, like, I feel like it, it's very weird with all this, like, woke shit because, like— <laughs> It used to be, like, a couple years ago you could say something that was true about, like, white people, right? Right. Like, not in this whole, like, white fragility, blah, 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 but just, like, man, like, whatever. Like, white people are trash, right? Like, like something has a lot of truth to it because even, like, the worst of woke culture comes from white people. And so, you know, it's like – but now in 2020, like – among certain subculture, it's like that's become the cliche. So even like like, there's no doubt that like most white people have no idea what Nick Cannon is talking about. But I know people <laughs> that like five years ago would have been like, "Well, that's, you can't say that about anybody," and now they would be like, "That's right," Ar-rah! you know. And it's just like, shut the fuck up! Like, like you're embarrassing yourself in oh, both actions. Like, there is this weird like like Zizek had this provocative article, which as always, you know, people misinterpret him as always, because, you know, whatever, people just like to do that. Um, and it was like, you can't like, like the negation of your basic self-dignity is not like the medicine to no. kill racism. So I think like there is this kind of, and then the other part of it that's interesting is, is like definitely the class dynamic. So like, I'll just say like, First of all, full stop, he shouldn't have been fired, fuck Viacom, like, in fact, if I knew he was saying stuff like that, I would be consuming Viacom.
2: <laughs> 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 I, stuff, I would watch Nick Cannon right now on Viacom. We should get we should get Zizek on Nick Cannon's show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I have a lot of sympathy for the Black Israelite like movement. I find them hilarious. Still <laughs> <laughs> in New York, and he's the to on and go Black Israelites, I, no, no, I
0: like them. because <laughs> <laughs> I am their of but I think I think that like yeah but I, I guess I don't know man I just but but okay so number one I'm not canceling anybody ever that's like parenthetically related but two it's like look this is a good I mean He's cool. Like there's 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 a class rebound. He's gonna get another platform. Of course. Like there's course. no real. Puff, Puff already in. posted a picture. It's like yeah, bring yeah, Wally out to revolt. It's brilliant marketing because I haven't thought of Nick Cannon. I, I think the literally the last time I was aware of Nick Cannon in my consciousness was a Dave Chappelle joke about how safe Nick Cannon right. was chronically. Right. So I was I was actually like. The only word is
2: impressed.
3: Before we get out of here, Mike, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but could we get some Nation of Islam um, Barack Obama? See, I
0: didn't know that Nick Cannon had the truth like that. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I thought he was Black Bob Sagan. <laughs> Turns out he's bringing the truth. Parts <laughs> <laughs> with BLM. The fuck out of our streets. <laughs> <laughs> wants to contribute money. I like George. That old devil's giving money. <laughs> Stay at home. Put on a mask. White people are thirty times more likely to get corona, yet we're more likely to die from it. Wonder why that is. <laughs> Look at the pyramid. It says CIA. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <The> two, <laughs> <you don't want. laughs> oh yeah. my goodness! I'm I'm happy we were able to talk. It's just, yo, man, the other day, last week, while you were off, Mike, I, you know, me and Nando were talking about the whole Deshaun Jackson thing, and I was trying to explain to people that might not know. It's like, yo, bro, like if you don't. If you don't—you would have to literally seek this out to find it, but this strain of thinking in the black people, this, like, um, this sort of overcorrection of the white American narrative of black people as, you know, like, lazy, stupid, dumb, overly sexual, the overcorrection of—no, actually— The black man is God. The black man. We was kings in Africa, right? Um, The you know uh, humanity was born in Africa, and and all of this type of shit. Um, Like you, you don't know about it, but it's there, and it's more popular than you would understand. And so that you know, you get to a point where Deshaun Jackson is willing to believe that Adolf Hitler (laughs) said that black people were the actual chosen people from God. I mean, you know, whatever. But you know,
0: I guess it goes a little left at certain points. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I actually, I mean, I legitimately think that that is something that there should be like, we're talking about in contrast, all the white fragility bullshit. And again, like mostly turning in that Adolf Reed direction of like, let's actually deal with just like real shit. But the elements that do involve like, Say like cultural literacies, like, yeah, I think white people should be very familiar with all of that. Absolutely, because I think it's, I actually think it is that is actually culturally important to be like, okay, you hear this stuff, maybe it even offends you because whatever you're touchy for no reason. Um, and a lot of it does offend, but you should, you should, you should process it like that because it's like basically this counter narrative is the mass narrative that people have grown up with. And so you should take that in. Like it's, a, there's a lot of value in that. 100. Like, Why people should watch Nick Cannon say that on Viacom, <laughs> 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 you know, but then everybody should also remember that everybody's a millionaire. Like that's what yes. I'm yes. trying to get. Yes. yes.
3: Yes. Never, ever, ever, ever forget that part. Um, Make sure you guys become a patron of Count the Dings. Of course, become a patron of the Michael Brooks Show. They're doing absolutely incredible work, Mm. invaluable work over there. And of course, make sure you subscribe to Let's Pot It Out, Nando's invaluable entourage sort of redux and
2: Stupid. you
3: know um just make sure you you, you fight in the power people
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> just, oh, yeah. just make sure you fight in the power uh we'll see you guys next week make sure you check out the mailbag on friday cinephobe um naima's wednesday service uh the the, the black opinions matter original show on monday um just make sure you checking out all the content we'll see you guys next week we're out of here later